Hi, welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a quick look at what's screening and streaming brought to you by The Letterbox Show. I'm Slim, they're Mitchell. Hello, hello. And together, we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, what's trending on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlist. Mitchell, you're senior editor at Letterboxd, and everyone uses their watchlist differently. How do you use it? I saw, spoilers, I saw you almost have a thousand movies on your watch list, by the way. I have a lot of movies on my watch list. Um, I kind of, you know, watch list is not a thing that I used to use a lot, but then I started using it and now I'm very addicted to using it. It's, it's almost a problem. It feels like one of those things where I watch a movie, I feel like, you know, I got I got it off the watch list. I'm getting it down. I'm getting it down. We're down to $9.99. But then the next day it comes and I add 10 more movies to it. And it just, it feels like this great mountain that I'm never going to get down from. But right. I don't mind it because, you know, it's more, more movies. There's always more movies to throw on there. There's plenty more movies to watch. Yeah, every time I, some of my friends use it where they'll always say at the start of the year, you know what? I'm only going to watch movies on my watch list <laughs> right, this <yeah>. year. <laughs> and that never works. <laughs> yeah. One week later, they're already watching whatever the heck they want that's not on their watch list. Yeah. At the beginning of this year, I made this uh, list that um, our friend Jack at Letterboxd, um, he does a similar thing. I took inspiration from him where I made a list of 52 films that are on my watch list that I'm for sure 100% going to see this year. And I think I've watched about seven of those right now <laughs> and then added probably about a hundred movies right. to my watch list, maybe. <laughs> yeah. The, the one saving grace for people with large amounts of watch lists, if you're a pro member, you get that email saying, hey, that movie that's on your watch list is now streaming on the servers you have. FYI. Yeah. So by all means, take advantage of that for pro and patron members. And it's got cool, we've got like the cool filters on there too, where you can kind of um, like filter your watch list through like what's available on streaming services mm -hmm. and stuff, which is something that my partner Sam and I use like literally every day when we're deciding what to watch is like looking through our watch list and figuring out what's available that we can actually see for free right now on the many different things that we subscribe to. Right. Before we move on, we should mention that this episode of Weekend Watchlist is brought to you by Mubi. So our first ever episode and Mubi is sponsoring. Amazing. For those that don't know, they are a curated streaming service showing exceptional films around the globe. And every day, movie premieres a new film, from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. You can try movie for free for 90 days at movie. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm just so stunned at 90 days. It's a very generous <laughs> offer from movie and you can use it for 90 days at the uh, URL movie.com slash letterboxd. That's M-U-B-I.com slash letterboxd for three months of great cinema for free. And you know, my... My partner and I, we've got a movie subscription. We're using it right now. And, you know, speaking of filtering by services on your watch list, we, the there other you day, you know, we are looking for things to watch on movie right now. They've got, I mean, they've always got a really great selection. They're always adding new things. They really curate the selection for you. They do these really cool series on specific directors. I remember, 
you know, last year or two years ago, maybe they had selections um, like series for Christian Petzl, the director of movies like Transit and Undine and mm. a series on um, Sai Ming Liang, who's one of my favorite directors who I got to watch films by him that aren't available anywhere else. Wow. You think you've got all of the services and, you know, you've got access to everything, but especially for people who are really interested in, you know, as you said, emerging directors and international directors, which I very much am. There's a lot of really great stuff on movie that's not available anywhere else. I'll be the first to call out that I'm one of those people that have not had a movie membership. I, I use this three month promo yeah. this morning. I signed up and I sorted my watch list by movies that are on movie. So already I'm uh, paying dividends because one of the movies on their terminal island, my friends are covering on their next episode of their podcast. There you go. So now I can watch it on movie. So thank you, movie. So <laughs> now is the time to sign up and discover your next movie on your watch list. Movie, get into it. <laughs> is that an actual catchphrase that movie no. uses? Are they no, going to steal should, that from us? Be. It should be. They should take it. I mean, I should get so I should get some pay. But another three months for Mitchell <laughs> after coining that catchphrase for movie. I think that's enough talk about movie for now. I think everybody's into it. So let's let's get into our next section, which is going to be all about the movies that are dropping this weekend for people to watch in theaters and on the many different streaming services that are out there. I'm ready. Let's do it. The big new release this week, the first one that we're getting into is the new film from Pixar. Ever heard of them? <laughs> the film is called Turning Red. It is written and directed by Domi Shi, who people may know from directing the very popular Dumpling short from Pixar, Bao, from a few years back. Mm. Turning Red is about... A young girl, 13-year-old girl named May, who is experiencing the awkwardness of being a teenager with a twist. When she gets too excited, she transforms into a giant red panda. Don't we all? How are you <laughs> feeling about turning red, Slim? Is this one that's high on your watch list? I'm excited because I'll be the first to say I love movies that debut at my house. Like <laughs> Disney Plus. <laughs> if I get to stay home and heat up some popcorn with my family and watch a movie at home, I'm all in. I don't mm. care what the heck it is. And bonus points that it's a Pixar film. So this is just on Disney+. Plus. I think they forego, they forewent. I don't even know if forewent is a word, but they forewent theatrical release. And I love that bow short. So I'm excited to watch this this weekend. I love Pixar. Uh, I've loved the last few that have debuted on Disney+. Plus. So I'm, I'm all in. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm the same way. I, um, I'm not really going to the theaters right now. So, you know, if you want to drop something on a streaming service for me that I have that I can watch at home, especially if it's free, that is fantastic news. Um, I know that there is, you know, discussion about people being frustrated that Pixar or, you know, Disney is kind of pushing some of these movies out, especially ones that have more kind of diverse representation out on Disney Plus, you know, a little bit unceremoniously, mm -hmm. which I think is a, definitely a discussion worth having. Um, but as a viewer who is not really going to theaters, I don't mind, you know, being able to yeah. see the movies, um, you know, right away. And I'm, I mean, I'm the same way with Pixar. It is kind of a thing where even, even the Pixar movies that don't hit, that don't blow you away, they're at least, you know, a good time. There's, you know, really great animation always. Like, they're doing exciting, cool things. Do you have... Do you have like a favorite Pixar that stands out the most for you or like a top three? <sighs> Wally was like one of my favorite movies for many years. Mm -hmm. I had a spiritual experience <laughs> seeing Wally in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I haven't rewatched it. I think it became one of those movies that I watched too often, so I needed to take a yeah. break. So I actually haven't watched Wally in in a, a very long time. But yeah, that was that's up there for me, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'll tell you for myself. You know, Soul is. I know it's like a recent one, and a lot of people mm-hmm. go with some of the, like the older, the classic ones. But Soul was one that really hit home for me, and I think especially like kind of it's those ideas that it gets into of like appreciating life and like not not making your life all about this like one passion that you have and you know this one thing that becomes like your identity and just you know appreciating the verisimilitude of life it's something that like really really hit home for me in a way that I wasn't expecting what was the like ogre elf one that they did that came out like right oh, at the start um, of the onward the onward. with tom holland and chris pratt doing the voices it was what do you think of that one that one was I love right. the ending i thought the yeah. ending was amazing they do. Pixar's got a good track record for endings. They hit those emotions, <laughs> even when you don't you don't know that it's coming. Onward, one of the last movies that I saw in theaters before. <laughs> that feels like that movie came out a decade ago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> so uh, Turning Red is on 11,000 watch lists right now. So we'll, we'll, we'll start to see that movie popping up in our activity feeds in Letterboxd very shortly. But next on our list from uh, Sean Levy and written by Jennifer Flackett, Mark Levin, T.S. Nolan, and Jonathan Tropper. This is hitting theaters and Netflix. And this is on four and a half thousand watch lists. The Adam Project, your friend and mine, Ryan Reynolds. This one is hitting Netflix. You can also go to theaters and see it, but this falls into the grouping of movies where, you know, I saw Red last year. Red Notice. Red Notice. Wasn't for me. So I kind of looped Adam Project into like one of those Netflix originals. And I'll be completely frank with you, Mitchell. I watched the trailer this morning just to get a taste of this movie. And this feels like right up my alley of movies that I would watch with my son. He gets like YouTube ads for movies like, hey, you see this Adam Project? And then we'd watch it. Do you have any buzz around the Adam Project that's uh, worth mentioning? Maybe it's similar to other films? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I was able to see the film um, a little bit early. And I think that, it definitely is kind of gearing towards that, you know, father-son kind of, it's very mm. much a movie about a father and a son. The whole kind of plot revolves around Ryan Reynolds' character in the year 2050 travels back in time to 2022 to try to, you know, stop some stuff that's going on that, you know, shouldn't happen in the future. And it becomes kind of all about him and his younger self trying to, you know, reunite with their father to, you know, solve all this stuff. The father's played by Mark Ruffalo. And, it's very much going for that kind of Amblin vibe, which I think, you know, yeah. people who are familiar with Sean Levy maybe wouldn't be surprised. He's one of the producers on uh, Stranger Things. He directed the Night of the Museum movies along with like Free Guy, um, stuff like that. And it's definitely going for Amblin all the way, maybe a little bit uh, too transparently. It feels a little bit, mm. at least to me, kind of derivative and it doesn't really hit those you know beats the way that those Amblin movies do but it definitely is going for that so I think if people are interested in that kind of thing and you know I I mean especially if you like Ryan Reynolds it's definitely a Ryan Reynolds movie um I think his kind of particular brand of sardonic um witticisms don't really work for me necessarily the way that they did back in like 2005 when he was first kind of getting into that whole thing with like the Van Wilder days, you know, I was like, oh, this this guy's, you know, doing some stuff. I'm having fun with this guy. <laughs> At this point, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, eh, maybe this is not. Am- so you're saying this is Amblin Van Wilder. Yes, that's, that's the way. Is that that was in the trailer, right? That's what they said in the trailer. Yeah. This is if Amblin you like Van Wilder. Van Wilder, get a load of this. When, so yeah. I came out of 
a trailer retirement to watch this trailer. Yeah. And funnily <laughs> enough, it reminded me of another movie that had like non-positive buzz ahead of time that I had a lot of fun watching with my son, which was The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. Remember that oh, movie yeah, that I, came I out on Prime? I never caught up with that one, yeah. That one was another like action-adventure uh, streamer original that I got tomorrow war vibe so for better or worse if you like tomorrow war you may be maybe adam project is for us we'll find there you out go. the adam project's on netflix big weekend plans let's move on to one of kind of the more under the radar ones you know that we want to give a little spotlight to our next film is called ultrasound it's directed by rob schroeder written by connor stetchel it's on 1000 watch lists on letterbox it's coming out this weekend on theaters and on video on demand so if you don't want to head out to the theaters you can watch this from the comfort of your own home the film premiered last year at the uh, tribeca film festival the basic synopsis goes as this. After his car breaks down, Glenn spends one hell of an odd night with a married couple, setting into motion a chain of events that alter their lives, plus those of several random strangers. Now, I saw this film back at Tribeca last year when it premiered, but you, I believe, just caught up with it recently. Is that correct? What were your feelings on Ultrasound? Lucky enough to get a screener ahead of time, some LB Crew perks, and I, this has been on my watch list for a little bit because uh, a Six Degrees of Separation, a friend of a friend, you know, knows the director and uh, heard ahead of time that it was based on a graphic novel. So I'm a longtime comic reader, but I'd never read it. Mm. So I fired this up and I actually really enjoyed it. It, it falls into the, the like nano genre in my head of lo-fi sci-fi <laughs> where, you know, uh, some kind of science sci-fi topics play a part of it but it's not you know the main thing and it's kind of in the background but it's really about the human relationships and the fallout inside of it yeah and i compare that to two directors which i go to when i when i talk about lo-fi sci-fi which are the dudes that made the endless spring and resolution moorhead and benson Gemma on the main show talks about how her favorite movies are ones that land at like three and a half stars like right, those yeah. are the, that's the <laughs> sweet spot of movies for her and their films and this one falls into that sweet spot for me. So it, it starts out where you're not really sure what's going on. It almost felt like a thriller that I wasn't vibing with, with like the plot. I was like getting really mm. uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 then it like drifts into, okay, there's actually some strange sci-fi things happening. And then you're kind of like in the dark for most of the movie. And then the ending reveals everything. So by the end of the time, the full journey of the film, I had a great time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the kind of movie that I'm always like down to watch even if like I so my my kind of trajectory with watching the film was I was really intrigued by the beginning it started kind of losing me like during the middle where it felt like it was maybe like meandering a little bit too much but then you know as you just said like it it comes back around at the end in a really exciting way that like everything comes full circle and like all of the pieces just like mesh together really well so the end kind of brought me back in you know mm. and but like just the kind of premise and yeah those like lo-fi sci-fi vibes like low budget sci-fi is like some of the most interesting stuff out there because you've got people who just have these ideas and really have to get creative with like the way that you know they want to employ those ideas because they don't have the biggest budgets in the world where they can lean on you know digital effects and whatever so they have to really get into character but also like finding different ways to use the form to capture those ideas. And I definitely think that, you know, Rob Schroeder does a good job of that. I'm definitely, you know, mm -hmm. curious to see kind of what else he's going to put out as well.
let's look back real quick at last week's releases. We do want to spotlight. Maybe folks weren't able to make plans last weekend with their watch list, but uh, maybe we'll spotlight two things from each of us that we want to call out from the previous week. And maybe the big one so far is The Batman. Mm, heard of it? <laughs> Everyone is seeing this movie. It's on set. It's still on seventy three thousand watch lists right now. So there's still plenty of people that have not gone to see it in theaters. Maybe they're waiting for a digital release. And this is hanging pretty tough with a four point three average on Letterboxd. One of the reviews uh, that I do want to spotlight, and if you want, uh, potentially have one of your reviews spotlighted, tag your reviews with weekend watch list. By the way, on Letterboxd, from Brat, who we'll actually hear from next week. Brat wrote, seen a lot of people comparing this to Zodiac and Seven but not too many commenting on its clear influence, the Saw saga. I very much agree. I definitely got some Saw vibes during the film. Well, as somebody, you know, who got Saw vibes from the film, one one review on Letterboxd that stood out to me was uh, from Corey Everett, the creator of Cinephile, the card game and a friend of Letterboxd, who also, similar to Mia, made, you know, referenced the Seven and Zodiac comparisons in a favorable way. Um, but Corey also said, Apologies to my five-year-old who will not be seeing this anymore this weekend or for at least a couple more years. And I know, Slim, you know, you you did not see the Batman with your son. And I was curious kind of for all of the parents out there who may be listening who haven't seen the film yet, who might be considering bringing their children. What what do you think is the correct age for this new Batman? I hear it's a little bit darker than, you know, the, the Schumacher Batman. <laughs> <laughs> this is a far cry from the Nolan trilogy, which I think is dark at times. This mm-hmm. is this is grimy. This is like the muck under someone's boot. I would not take any child under the age of maybe 11 or 12 to see this movie. Uh, No way, Jose. Definitely not for young kids. And I'm okay with that because we've had so many Batman movies already. I'm, I'm totally on board with a different vibe for Batman films. And if it's dark and gritty, then let's do it for a little bit. And then we can refresh in like 10 years and, and have a director, director take another swing at things. Just ask your kids if they want to see a movie that has been described by Letterboxd uh, podcast host Slim as the gunk on the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> Listen, WB, HBO, if you want to put that on a poster, <laughs> let's talk, okay? We can make this happen. Three months free of HBO Max, let's do it. One of the other releases from last week that I would love to shout out, you know, also starring Colin Farrell, star of The Batman, is the new A24 release, After Yang, which is also, you know, it's playing in theaters now. It's also streaming on Showtime. It is written and directed by Koganada, who people might know from Columbus from a few years back. And, um, you know, people have really been getting the chance to catch up with After Yang. It played favorably at, you know, a few festivals. It premiered at Cannes last year, played at Sundance this year. And for those catching up on it, we've got a really great interview um, that's come out over the last week up on Journal, our digital magazine on Letterboxd from Isaac Felberg with Koganada about, you know, kind of the inspirations uh, behind the film. You know, he mentions Yasujiro Ozu as a really Mm. big inspiration. They also talk about Koganada becoming a cat person uh, over the last few years, surprisingly, you know, getting some of the cat love out there. Um, But also, you know, really getting into kind of the film itself and the themes that, you know, After Yang gets into, which are really these, you know, existential questions about, life and death and, you know, searching for meaning. And one of the things that I really love that Koganata speaks about in the interview is finding meaning within the search for meaning rather than, you know, working so hard to find 
the meaning yourself and this idea that like you can never really fully find that meaning of life, you know, what, mm. what life means and finding that fulfillment. But the idea that the kind of never ending search for it is where you get, you know, the meaning from. In, incredible film. I, I heard you speak about After Yang and I was able to watch this just before it hit showtime. This is my movie of the year so far. Yeah, like I same. was blown away. This was incredibly therapeutic watch to the point where after I read the journal article, finally after I watched it, I added Columbus, mm. you know, his previous directorial effort, which I had not seen. But I mean, if anyone is on the fence for this film, it's 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 actually going up in watch list since its release. It's on 52,000 watch lists right now. And I think there there's definitely like a letterbox buzz around yeah. after Yang. I, and I know Showtime, you know, not maybe not a lot of people have Showtime, but I mean, do whatever you can to to take advantage of this film. Yeah. They got Showtime's got free trials. You can you can get in there for there you go. seven days probably and then, you know, maybe maybe cancel your subscription. Maybe not. You know, maybe maybe keep it around. They got other good stuff on there too. I know Showtime's listening right now. You wanna next week, you know, <laughs> maybe the week after you want to do a three month uh free trial for our weekend watch list listeners. Let's make it happen. Showtime.com slash letterbox. We we can <laughs> it's it's open. It's available. Nobody's using that URL right now. It's very available. <laughs> Well, speaking of the Batman, especially, you know, where one of the things that we like to track on this podcast is where things are moving on, you know, these official letterbox lists, the end of year lists that we're always looking at, you know, the the top 250 mm-hmm. of all time on letterbox lists. And we've got, you know, our great um, head of platform content at Letterbox, Jack Moulton, Every week, we will be giving you updates on where the current top 50 films of 2022 are looking at on Letterboxd. So, Slim, you want to take a look at what's kind of trending, what's moving and shaking on the top 50 list for Letterboxd right now? Yeah, I love this list. It's updated every Monday, so you can see what's moving up the list, what's popular, what's jumping in. So, it's a great opportunity to find new movies. And you mentioned Batman. Batman was at number two of this list last week. It's now moved down to number three. And 8,000 people already have this in their four favorites on Letterboxd. So uh, Jack even mentioned how we might be getting a little bit of a No Way Home scenario from last mm. year. Remember, that was like at the top of the charts. and Number one. You know, the certain certain groups of movie fans were freaking out that this could be number <laughs> one movie of the year. <laughs> and it eventually settled down a little bit. Uh, but there's also another movie on this list that I wanted to highlight that you, I think, also saw. The Last Farmer which I have never heard of. It's now at number two on our top 50 of 2022 and has a 4.3 average. So I, I need to see what the heck this movie is about. Yeah, it's this is a Tamil Indian film. And, you know, these these films really, you know, get into, they get a very passionate following behind them where, you know, they, one of the things that I love so much about the letterbox list is that, you know, while you get films like the Batman on there that, you know, everybody's talking about. You also get these films that maybe don't have as big of a profile, you know, worldwide as something like the Batman does, but they have a really passionate following, particularly within, you know, their countries of origin. And it really helps to put them on the radar for, you know, everybody else so that people can, you know, seek these out. You know, this this film, The Last Farmer, premiered at the Rotterdam Film Festival in mm-hmm. February of last year, back when they were doing virtual screenings. And, you know, over a year later, it finally got its first national release in India on February 11th. And it's immediately, as we can see, really charting up, you know, this yeah. letterbox list at number two, just from getting that national release in, you know, India. And it's exciting to see a film like this just really surging like that, kind of coming out of nowhere for at least, you know, for us, you know, most of us living in the Letterboxd people living in America and New Zealand, we weren't really familiar with the film. So when Jack 
came out of nowhere in the Slack and was like, hey, we've got a new, you know, film at number two. It was, mm -hmm. you know, immediately like, well, let's check this out. Let's see, you know, what this film's all about. Yeah, and we didn't mention number one, but Jack theorizes that it will stay number one probably for most of the year, and that's the Get Back the Rooftop Concert. It certainly is. From the Beatles. So if you're into that vibes, then you're very comfortable with the new number one for the, uh, for the most of the year. <laughs> Take that, Batman. <laughs> uh, final segment for this episode, let's talk about our own watch list, what we added to our watch list, what we're hoping at some point to watch in the near future. And mine actually came from that journal article. I added Ozu to my watch list mm. for the first time ever, Tokyo Story, 1953. So this was called out in the After Yang article about uh, various Ozu vibes and references and homages. And this is a giant blind spot in my library. So Tokyo Story is actually streaming on Criterion and HBO Max right now. So hopefully I can start to get into these vibes and see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, not to sell it too hard. Tokyo Story on my my personal top 250 of all time list, number eight. So, oh my God, big, number big eight. Big fan of Tokyo Story. So, okay. you know, if anybody hasn't seen Tokyo Story, get on it with Slim and check that, <laughs> check that out. <laughs> what about you? What did you add to your vast watch list this week? Yeah, for me, I added, you know, some, some, uh, big blind spots, actually, you know, Rolling Stone this, uh, this past week dropped a um, massive kind of list with a bunch of contributors of the top um, 100 films of the 1980s. And while I had, you know, I've seen, I think, you know, some people have listified that list on Letterboxd, which is, you know, very generous and very much appreciated. So I could see how many of those films I have already seen. It looks like I'm at about 70%, um, which Whoa. is... Good, but I've got, you know, 30, 30 still to watch, some of which were already on my watch list. But I went ahead and added anything that wasn't already on my watch list. Uh, I added on there, which weirdly some things that maybe would surprise people were not already on my watch list. This is Spinal Tap, a movie oh that I God. have never seen. That was, for whatever <laughs> reason, not not on my watch list. Airplane, um, oh. not already on my watch list. Maybe the biggest one that I think would personally harm Gemma especially is that I've never seen Who's Framed Roger Rabbit and it was not even on my watch list. So that that is on my watch list now and I, I promise the world, I promise everybody, I'm sorry that I haven't done it yet, but I will watch Who's Framed Ro Who Framed Roger Rabbit. My God. Just just in our first episode, we've heard 20 movies that Mitchell has added to their watch list. By the end <laughs> I'm of the adding episode. more right now while, while we're talking. I've been adding, I haven't been listening to a thing you've been saying. I've just been adding new movies to the watch list. Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. And thanks to this week's co-host, Mitchell Beaupre. You can follow Mitchell, Slim, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterboxd using the links in our episode notes. Thanks to our crew and thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Walton for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening. Weekend Watchlist is a Tape Deck production. Take that podcast. Mm -hmm.